Initially, there were some what we would call false flag efforts that included Korean code fragments in the malware, which for a brief time, some of the analysts looking at this, you know, we could have maybe gone down the line thinking North Korean attribution for the Olympic destroyer attack made sense. Now, upon further analysis, the campaign infrastructure and the metadata and the lure documents did match Russia's Sandworm team, TTPs. Welcome back to another episode of Mandiant's Ion Security Podcast. I'm your host, Luke McNamara. And joining me today, we have returning guest to the podcast, Chris Kittner, Principal Analyst here at Mandiant. Chris, great to have you back. Thank you so much, Luke, for having me. Well, today we are going to talk about something that we always get a lot of customer questions about. And so we thought it'd be a good idea to do um, an episode of this podcast to, to delve into this, this topic, which is threats that arise around sporting events. Uh, and in particular here, given when we're recording this here in early February, threats to the Olympics. This is something, again, around a lot of other public sporting events, but in particular the Olympics, we always get questions from customers you know, what do you expect we could see in terms of cyber threat activity around this event? Who might it target? What might it look like? So we're here to dive into that. And what better place, I guess, to start than just historically, what have we seen? When it comes to the Olympics, let's focus on that maybe specifically, you know, there's been some very high profile incidents and events, I guess, in the last couple of years. But if you want to kind of give us a, a run through and maybe where we could start is maybe the water leaks, probably with some of the more well-known ones. Yeah, I think that's a perfect place to start. As you said, you know, big sporting events are very attractive for cyber espionage activity and cyber criminals. And as we look at what's happening at the 2022 Olympics, it's really important to remember that these incidents have been happening for quite some time. And when you say WADA leaks, just to uh, make sure we're all on the same page, it's World Anti-Doping Agency leaks of 2016. Um, it's fascinating because it was, uh, you know, a very interesting period between 2016, during and following the Olympics in Brazil um, in 2018, where Mandiant tracked a number of campaigns that were consistent with Russia Nexus actors, and they were targeting sporting-related entities. And in particular, WADA was the main focus. To understand the background of that, you know, during the 2014 Winter Olympics in Sochi, Russia, the Russian athletes, uh, there was a huge investigation. It was determined that they had used illegal drugs that resulted in Russians being banned from the 2018 Winter Olympics. And from that time period, 2016 to 2018, we began to see a lot of activity from Russian actors, whether um, nation state or what we call hacktivist groups. And they were targeting not just Olympics related entities, but also those organizations that maybe would have a role in the Olympics. It started out in 2016 when what we call the Fancy Bears hacking team, which are uh, linked to APT28, they leaked the information of athletes' use of drugs uh, that they were able to gather from their breach into WADA. 
Now, that unauthorized access by APT 28 into WADA led to uh, the leaks and the embarrassment that they were hoping to get from that. Now, what was really fascinating there is that when this was happening, WADA made sure to come out and say that, yes, there were emails and other documentations that contained very personal information from athletes that were stolen. But please keep in mind, it appears as if some of the data has been altered, meaning the actors either doctored, changed the data, and we believe it's in a in hopes of bringing doubts to the role of WADA in the Olympics. And this is something to, to give folks some context for, you know, why a, a nation state might utilize its capability, you know, for not just compromising an entity such as WADA, or as you noted, there's a bunch of other, you know, sort of related organizations that are compromised around this time period, the 2016 and, and 2018 Olympics. But this sort of... Um, the level to which there is a state-sponsored effort to sort of promote Russia's interests at the Olympics. And I think this will probably give context to when we talk about, you know, particularly nation-state originating cyber threat activity, whether that's espionage or disinformation hacktivism or something rather made to look like hacktivism, uh, which we see in the water leaks, both of those, right? The, yeah. the hack and leak activity. Um, there's a fantastic documentary I would recommend to folks called Icarus. It sort of goes into and details the extent at least a lot of which is now public around Russia's efforts to have a sort of state-sponsored doping program. And so when you look at that, the sort of the, the allegations made in that documentary, you know, the activity we see around 2016 and 2018, once we get onto the Olympic destroyer activity, makes a lot more sense that some of these groups, such as APT-28 that you've mentioned before, where we've seen Russia use them for more traditional, you know, state-focused efforts to where you would see additional taskings put on them to go after and target entities associated with the Olympics, as this is something that is very much a, a matter of national pride, right? The, the representation of their athletes and their involvement in those uh, in these games. And like you said, you know, Russia very much puts a priority in the national prestige that you get, not just from the Olympics, but other international sporting events. And so any backlash on that front is not just considered, you know, on the athlete side, but it's a personal Russia government insult. And all of the activity that we saw during that time really did have the, they really were conveying that they were going to uh, cause retribution for the activity, for the ban on their athletes. So let's fast forward a little bit to 2018. The Olympics now are hosted in Pyeongchang, uh, South Korea very much a target historically of a lot of North Korean cyber threat. And you have a very similar situation in which the North Korean athletes are not operating or, or participating under the Russian flag. They're allowed to participate independently. But again, that sort of matter of national pride of having the Russian flag and sort of representation of, of the country isn't there. So we're now entering, you know, going into 2018, this sort of environment, which we're looking at, like there's potentially several different threat actors that might be involved and then the Olympic Destroyer event happens. So walk us through that. Yeah, it's that one is a really fascinating one, too. And even before Olympic Destroyer, it's important to note that at the end of 2017, we did see targeting of the IOC. And in early January of 2018, we also saw um, a campaign that leveraged Korean language Olympics lures 
And the use of Korean language and the specific targeting kind of suggested there was an interest um, in South Korean entities and those affiliated with the games. And at the time, really, it could have been a number of nation state actors that could have conducted such activity. So what we saw was that during the opening ceremonies, the website Wi-Fi outages throughout the stadiums occurred for approximately 12 hours. What's really, really interesting there is that Olympic Destroyer, which is the malware framework you mentioned, uh, Mandiant refers to it as Sour Apple Dropper and Sour Grapes Wiper. Initially, there were some what we would call false flag efforts that included Korean code fragments in the malware, which for a brief time, some of the analysts looking at this, you know, we could have maybe gone down the line thinking North Korean attribution for the Olympic destroyer attack made sense. Now, upon further analysis, the campaign infrastructure and the metadata and the lore documents did match Russia's sandworm team TTPs. But it is fascinating to see the extent to which a nation state, in this case Russia, went to target South Korea's Olympics and pretend to be North Korea. Right. And this is a very different type of occurrence compared to what we've seen from them previously in terms of targeting uh, Olympic-related entities, right? In the past, it had been espionage activity and then, you know, in some cases, selectively leaking that, you know, and you mentioned Fancy Bear's hacking team, probably their, their cheekiest of... Uh, sort of a front since they adopted that name off of uh, what CrowdStrike's reference to 28 is. But we have this more aggressive activity now in, in 2018 where they're actually deploying wiper malware and leading to some disruption of the games, uh, ticket processing and sales, and, and a lot of other things impacting the opening ceremonies. So I guess that brings us up to, to now. And I guess maybe one other thing I would throw into when we're talking about Olympics or even sporting events in general Certainly a lot of our conversation and, and your background obviously more centered around the nation state type activity, but there's often a lot of the questions that we will get also around what might we see from hacktivist groups, what might we see from cybercrime activity, and some of that might be sort of localized depending on where these events are being held. You mentioned the Rio Olympics in the past, and I know one of the big concerns around that is because there's so much of a big cybercrime community in Brazil, things like ATM jackpotting. You know, that might present more of a risk in that particular event because of where it's being hosted than that sort of activity, that type of threat activity might in other locations. But regardless, there's always a lot of money that are pouring into these events from a hacktivist perspective, even though that has waned pretty significantly. Legitimate hacktivist activity, I would say, at least, you know, mm -hmm. versus nation state affiliated actors sort of using those as fronts. This is a, an event, especially we're talking about the Olympics, where this is front and center of the world stage. People from around the globe are turning in. And so if there is an effort to damage corporate brands, to damage the, the reputation or, you know, prestige of a country, uh, it certainly invites a lot of that sort of opportunity. And so that's why I think going into these sort of events, there's a lot of concern, legitimately so, from a variety of different regions, what we might see emerge when it comes to cyber threat activity. Yeah, we definitely um, expect to see increased cyber crime activity during the Beijing Olympics. However, what's really important to note here, and you mentioned it, is the there's a lot of attention in Ch on China right now, and the Chinese have every impetus to ensure that nothing goes wrong. So that means they will be conducting 
whether it's information operations campaign or other sort of internal campaigns to ensure that dissidents or activists that are against um, the situations um, against human rights that are occurring in the region, they don't want that to be front and center on the news. So we have actually seen a few information operations campaigns where it is Chinese propagating this narrative that everything is great and it's happening as it should and reporters and journalists have access to what they need to. When in fact, you know, we have seen it already some reporters being removed from camera as they're reporting from the Olympics. So we have the the, the 2022 uh, Olympics happening in Beijing. China, uh, you know, probably know, you know people that listen to this podcast or even have a slight familiarity with this space, probably no stranger or unaware of the fact that they are uh, a sponsor of a lot of the sort of uh, espionage activity that we've tracked over the years. So they have that as a capability. They have also been a target of cyber espionage activity. Probably in the last couple of years, one of the more well-known examples was when uh, APT32 targeted them, targeted some Chinese government entities, local government entities, uh, at the outstart of uh, COVID. So, but, you know, again, as you mentioned, they have every interest in maintaining, as every country does when they host the Olympics, making sure everything goes well. We also have this interesting dynamic where the Olympics uh, in this particular case are not open to that many spectators. So there's not a lot of tourism that's taking place here, uh, not a lot of spectators in person outside kind of locally. So when you're looking at that and you're looking at the potential, you know, actors that might be involved in targeting these games and what that might look like, you know, Russia is very tied up with Ukraine at the moment and, and the, the sort of uh, tensions that are continuing to build there. Is this a big enough target for them to retask some of those groups that we've historically seen? Is this enough of importance to them? Again, I think we have the Russian athletes that aren't competing directly under the, the Russian flag. They're under a special sort of Russian Olympic Committee entity that they can compete under. And, you know, China, I don't think historically we've seen much from them in targeting previous Olympics. Certainly they wouldn't really have an interest in um, targeting their own games in a sort of destructive Olympic destroyer sort of manner. But where might we sort of see cyber threat activity emerge? And I think you started to, I want to kind of set the stage, but I think you're starting to, to kind of touch into this, which is the Chinese IO effort. Because we've seen this become more aggressive in terms of the narratives and topics and even audiences that they've gone after in the past. And when you think about not just the, the Uyghur human rights abuses that they are known to be involved in and committing, uh, but also some of the activism we've seen the last couple months amongst the sports community around the Chinese tennis player Peng Shui. You know, how might Chinese effort, IO efforts, be incorporated in here to maybe, if we do see some limited protests from outside entities trying to draw attention, to some of these things, how might these that that sort of effort, these networks be galvanized into pushing a pro PRC narrative? Yeah, I think that it is very relevant to mention that we are probably unlikely to see disruptive Russian, Iranian or North Korean state sponsored cyber attacks at these Olympics due to the close relationships between China and those countries, as well as the ongoing world event that keeps chugging. And what I think we'll see instead is very much traditional cyber espionage in terms of surveillance and reconnaissance. China, Russia, Iran, North Korea, cyber operations, 
regardless of what it all encompasses, have continued and consistently tracked individuals that are of interest for their national security. So it is not unheard of that, you know, that will also happen in China, whether it's athletes or those in country, but not necessarily attending or coaches and people related to the supporting entities for the Olympics. And on that note, you know, in ensuring that the games move, you know, smoothly and everything goes according to plan, I would expect to see China APTs that are traditionally associated with the Ministry of State Security. Those are the groups that typically target dissidents and activists. Those are the groups, and they would be APT10, APT41. Those are the groups that would likely be active at this time, but mostly focusing internally. Their goal is not to create chaos during their own prime time of showing how far the Chinese have come and showing the world their success in combating the pandemic and how the advances from the 2008 Olympics to now. So really clamping down on dissident activity and promoting uh, positive narratives that paint China in a good light is what we're likely to see. What do you think of the advice that we've now seen from several countries? And this is, I think, maybe one of the more uh, public, I'm sure this has probably gone in the past, but certainly one of the more public times this has occurred, where the advice that's been given by the Dutch Olympic team, I think the US and a few others, uh, rather publicly advising their athletes to not bring their personal phones and mobile devices, but bring burner phones And I guess some of this discussion around threats to sporting events sort of dovetails into questions we often get around threats to travel, in particular for executives or their VIPs, sort of some of the the typical best practices. But there's also been some discussion and buzz around this particular app that's been required of athletes and attendees to download. Can you talk a little bit about that and sort of how that plays into this this concern around internal monitoring or cyber espionage activity focused on attendees of this event? Absolutely. So at first, when Citizen Lab put out their analysis of the My 2022 app, it was picked up by various media outlets. And at one point, the research which was done, which discussed what I will very precisely refer to as security flaws as opposed to vulnerabilities in the My 2022 app. So Citizen Lab's analysis indicated that the app appeared to have what they called, you know, coding, bad coding practices possibly, and it resulted in the failure to properly encrypt the transfer of personal identifiable information, which could then leave that information vulnerable during the communications part of the app. Now, it is a fairly straightforward app. It collects data from users to allow them to ensure contact tracing and exit and entry into stadiums. And in failing to validate the secure socket layer certificates, which is what I mentioned, the security flaw in the communications, the story got picked up, was sensationalized, And all of a sudden, everybody thought, we can't have My22. It's going to take all of our stuff. It's completely encrypted. 
I think we have to be very careful about that. Uh, we had a chance at Mandiant to speak to the researchers who analyzed the My 2022 app. And one thing to mention is that the latest version of the app does uh, has fixed that. But also, even prior to it being fixed, Mandiant rates these vulnerabilities to be low to medium risk. And honestly, it's very important to ensure that when we deal with cybersecurity risks and vulnerabilities, we're precise with our languages. Who was the uh, research group that put that information out? Citizen Lab put out the report, I believe it was mid to late January. And they went through the entire my 2022 app. And for lack of a better word, it appears as if it could have been just a mistake. Sometimes, you know, even the best of us coders make a mistake. It did not appear to be malicious, especially as if it was as it was fixed. Now, interestingly, the app does include features that allow users to report politically sensitive content. There's a censorship keyword list that's present in the app, but it's inactive. Now, whether the app developers put that feature there and intended for it to be activated at a later time, or it was activated and then deactivated, we don't know that. Any So in, I guess any other thoughts you have on, on what we might see? Again, we already have been through the opening ceremonies at this point. Might we see anything further from from Russia at this point? Again, noting that they're likely a lot of their efforts, and you know, we continue to see to be focused around Ukraine and Europe at the moment. Is this a big enough priority for them? I wouldn't put it past the Russians to conduct some sort of campaign, whether it be a false flag or not. However, I would be more looking at criminal activity in terms of Russia. I think you'd mentioned this earlier with one of the examples that we were seeing around in 2018, separate to Olympic Destroyer. But it's worth also noting again, you know, similar to COVID and other sort of high profile events or trends, the usage of the Olympics as a generic lure in operations completely unconnected to Olympic targeting, that's something that would be unsurprising to see. So certainly something that we will be on the lookout for but given everyone's attention, or a lot of folks' attention, is on the Olympic Games right now, um, just because we see that utilized for spearfishing activity doesn't necessarily mean that that is related in its targeting. Absolutely. And we've seen Olympics-related as well as other sporting events-related lures continue past the event, whether it's because uh, folks still are um, interested in catching up to see what's going on, or if for some reason there was an app, as is the case with Beijing, they've left the app on a phone, whether it's a burner phone that they still keep or not. And of course, we've got some other big sporting events this year. Here in the United States, we have the Super Bowl coming up. And then later, and I believe November, I'm outing myself as not a big soccer fan. November 21st to go. December 18th, <laughs> as a original, originally from Brazil, I would know when the World Cup is. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Thank you for, for catching on that because I, I did not remember. I knew it was later this year, but uh, that one probably more so um, than the Super Bowl. You know, again, similar sort of questions that we've been already starting to get. What sort of threat activity you might see this year? It's being hosted in Qatar in a neighborhood with also some very capable and aggressive cyber threat operators 
uh, in the past in, in the form of Iran in particular. But any particular predictions or things that organizations should be aware about as we approach those later this year? Well, going back to the Fancy Bears hack team, in August of 2017, they also conducted a hack and leak of sensitive information stolen from FIFA. So it's not a new target. Again, with the prestige that comes from winning World Cups and Olympic Games, this is definitely an event that cyber actors will be interested in targeting. Now, it is important to note that in Qatar, they've already started the implementation of very strong and severe cybersecurity and privacy measures for the World Cup. And they're requiring all entities that attend to adopt and implement the Qatar 2022 cybersecurity framework. There are different companies that have been hired to protect the digital environment against the cyber threats that we want, one may see. But in this sense, given the neighborhood, as you said, with very um, sophisticated actors, I would think that the major risk wouldn't really be the infrastructure and business operations, but really the human error. People are usually the weakest links. And so social engineering and lures and other ways to uh, target individuals rather than systems and infrastructure is what I would expect to see. Final question. What is your prediction for how many golds the U.S. takes home this year? Is this all time or just... Just this Olympics. Just the uh, the Winter Olympics. Oh, the Winter Olympics. Oh, boy. So... Without knowing for sure how many gold medals we've already taken, I'm going to say that uh, the U.S. will take home 12 gold medals. All right. You heard it here, folks. Hopefully that we'll check in and maybe later and see how that prediction uh, holds up. But Chris, great always talking to you. And thanks for sharing your insight around threats to the Olympics this year. And yeah, great talking to you again. Thank you so much for having me. 